Thank you. Well, great to be with you today. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, if you would. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we're looking, uh, continuing to look at the sixth illustration, which is uh, verse 43, chapter 5, verse 43, down through verse 48. <clears throat> and I want to read that, the words of Jesus to you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, down through verse 48. We have uh, sermon notes back there if you uh, want them. Uh, if anybody wants one, raise your hand. Well, uh, yeah, can we... Uh, can one of you guys grab a few and uh, we'll, uh, you can follow the notes and uh, that way you know how quick I'm going to be done. <laughs> Good luck on that. Uh, one up here, a couple up here. You can uh, pick these up, but uh, when you come in, we also have manuscript at the close. You can get a manuscript of the message that you can study through the week on your own, get the scriptures and uh, kind of walk through it again and think it through and pray over it. So, uh, hey, uh, no pressure on these. This is just, if it helps you, fine. If it doesn't help you, no problem. No judgment involved at all in that. <clears throat> so, we're back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, uh, down through verse 48. This is the sixth illustration uh, that Jesus is using in the Sermon on the Mount to uh, illustrate what he has established uh, in the Beatitudes and in the first few verses uh, down to verse 20. And then he, in verse 21, he begins the illustrations. This is the last illustration, uh, and it says this in verse 43. You have, heard, <clears throat> you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends the, just on, and sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. And if you love those who love you, <laughs> what reward of you? Do not even the tax collectors, the worst people in your society, the tax collectors, do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Therefore, you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Uh, Sermon on the Mount is made up of chapter 5, 6, and 7. Uh, it's one long, long sermon. Again, Luke separates it and puts it all over the ministry of Jesus. But in Matthew's gospel, he makes it concise and hands it to us in these three chapters. And there's no question at all that what he's doing, what he's presenting to us is, he's presenting to us to a new, a new level of righteousness. And in verse 20, it kind of climaxes just before he moves into these illustrations. And he says to us, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribe and the Pharisee. So he's kicking the idea of righteousness being right. He's kicking it up a whole new level. It is so radical. It is so off the wall. It is so far out that at the close of the Sermon on the Mount, he gives the, uh, he, he, he explains how the crowd responded to what Jesus had to say. And Matthew says they were astonished, which is the Greek word expresso, which means knocked out of your senses. 
So can you see this crowd? Their eyes are bugged out. Their mouth is wide open. Their chin is on their chest. They're going, whoa, nobody has said, did you, did you hear what? Nobody's ever said anything like this. This is so far off the wall. This is so out of it. This is so radical, folks, that the crowd was actually, well, they just never heard anything like it and wondered if it could be. And I would propose to you that as you get into this and the depth of what he's saying, that is the reaction. That's the reaction I have. I look at this thing and say, I have the nerve to stand up before a crowd and say this stuff. Good night. It is so radical. It is so, it's such a high. And if you say, well, what's so radical about it? What's so, what's so different? Well, there's no question he's moving from the external to the internal. See, in all of six illustrations, five of them are focused on the physical activity. Five of them. So obviously, the old law focused on physical activity. For instance, the first illustration is the murder thing. The second illustration is the morality, which has to do with sexuality and the adultery, which is physical. The third one is marriage and divorce, which has to do how to get rid of your wife, which is a physical thing. The fourth one is the idea of, of morals in terms of honesty and oath and putting your hand on the Bible and swearing and you got to keep your word then. It's that kind of physical activity. The fifth one is the revenge thing, which is malice, which is the revenge thing. It's the eye for an eye and a tooth. See, that's so physical. All of them are just physical. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, physical, I want you to get your eyes off of that and I want to take you to the internal. I want to I talk to you about how you feel. I want to talk about what you're hungry for. I want to talk about, hey, if we go down to the core of your existence, what do, you, what do you want, man? What do you really want? What is the heart's cry? What is the, what is the real appetite? What do you really hunger for? If, if, you could have the, if you could have your bucket list, what would it be? See, what is it you really, really want inside? Oh, so you're saying Jesus doesn't care about the physical. No, that's not true. That's not true at all. But it's a shift. See, the old timer said physical and I have to maintain and manage the spiritual. For instance, in the murder thing, I got all this hatred and all this bitterness and all this anger. What am I supposed to do with that? Well, you've got to control it. How am I going to control it? I'm not going to kill you. So this is a management to accomplish. This is discipline on the inside to get this done. Outward activity, inward spiritual life, discipline this, get this under control, put a lid on this to get this done. And I do that through the Jesus says, that's, no, you don't start here and then come here. You come here to change that. So what I want you to focus on is the internal and get that right. Because if you could be changed inside, if you could feel different, if you could not manage your anger, but eliminate it. Wow. Then this, this wouldn't be a problem, see. So the whole shift takes place into the internal and what do you really want and what your real motive is and what's going on inside of you. Now, in light of that, he comes to this sixth illustration, which we spent several Sundays on already, but this sixth illustration, which doesn't have anything to do with the physical. But he goes, he says, let's, five, the verse 5, deal with the physical. He moves right now into, he moves in this one right into the whole area of what is going on inside of you. What do you really want? 
And it brings up the subject of love. The old timer said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Jesus said, I want you to love your enemy and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That's a new standard. Now, he's not talking about tickles up and down your spine. He's not talking about feeling about your enemy like you feel about your dog. See, you probably are going to have to reshape in your mind the idea of love. Because the agape concept of love is the concept of selfless love. Which says, I think more of you than I think of myself. I desire what's better for you. I desire what's best for you more than I would want it for myself. It's a selfless, self-sacrificing, self-giving love that never thinks about itself. Which is the heart of the love of God. So it's the love, that kind of love. Not emotional, not tickle, tickle up and down the spine. Not, not sexuality kind of love. See, it's way beyond that what we're dealing with here. So when he says, love your enemy, he's not, he's not, again, talking about feel about your enemy the way you feel about your dog. So he's cut right down to the chase, gone to the very bottom core of it, and said, hey, let's get down to how do you really feel about your enemy? Now, yes, last Sunday, we dealt with this purpose clause, which is uh, in verse 45. So he presents this idea, love your enemies, pray for those who spitefully use you. Well, why? Why should I do that? Give me one good reason. Well, he says, I will. That purpose clause. For the purpose of this is that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. So he sets up two categories. Over here, love your enemy, that you may be sons of your father. Love your enemy, sons of your father. In other words, if you love your enemy like God loves his enemy, you will be sons of your father. If you're going to be a son of your father, you're going to love your enemy. So loving your enemy, sons of the father. Sons of your father in heaven will make you love your enemy. Now, be sure you get the idea that you don't love your enemy in order to become a son. If you are a son, you will love. It isn't, I will, I'll make myself love and therefore, no, you can't make yourself love. So that's impossible. So forget that. So here's love and that will, that will enable you to be a son of your father. This does not make you a son of your father, loving your enemy. But if, you, if you're a son of your father, you will love your enemy. But here's the catch on the whole thing. Loving my enemy, that's impossible. Being a son of your father. That's impossible. Can you pull off either one? Well, <laughs> no. Why don't you just make up your mind to be a son of your father in heaven? Well, you can't. Or you can make up your mind, but that won't make you one. See, do you understand that what we're talking about is a radical birthing? Amen. That somebody has to do... See, you... you you, you didn't think up your own birth. See, if I would have been able to think up my own birth, I would have been born a cowboy about 100 years ago. 
Patsy, that's where I fit. <laughs> Give me a horse and... Oh, never mind. So here... <laughs> but you can't think up your own birth. You can't make yourself love your enemy. And you can't think up your own birth. So both of these are totally impossible. So are you getting this? Love your enemy. Why? That you might be sons of your father. Well, I can't love my enemy. I know. And you can't make yourself a son of your father. So both of those are impossible. Which is the premise of the Sermon on the Mount. See, what he's presenting to us is total, absolute impossibility. You cannot do this. You are helpless. You can't pull this off. You can't work yourself into this. See, the old righteousness that, he, that the old timer presented was something he could get done. I can make myself, I can discipline myself until I don't kill you. Okay, I got myself under control. I can get that done. But this stuff that he's talking about, I can't get done. I can't do this. I'm totally helpless. And it isn't until you come to that helpless position and embrace your helplessness that things begin to take place in your life. So that's where he's bringing us to. So love your enemy, sons of your father. I love my enemy. Why? Because I'm a son of my father. And if I'm a son of my father, I love my enemy. But both of these, loving my enemy and being a son of the father, I can't pull that off. How is that then going to happen? Next phrase. Verse 45. Purpose clause, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. Here it comes. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Let me read it again. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Number one, cause the sovereignty of his nature. And I want you to get this. Cause the sovereignty of his nature. Let's back up. Sure, we're on track. Loving your enemy, can't do that. Son of your father, I can't do that. If I love my enemy, that would be an expression of being son of the father. Right, but I can't do either one. If I'm a son of my father, I'll love my enemy. That's true, but I can't do either one. I can't make myself a son. I can't make myself love. How am I going to do that? He starts the phrase with for, which is a causal statement. Let me tell you what's going to cause this in your life. And he starts with this word for, which is the word, Greek word hote, which literally is a causal statement and introduces a subordinate clause. It's a causal subordinate clause. Here's how this is going to happen. Remember, you're absolutely helpless. You can't pull this off. So somehow, this is going to have to be caused in my life. Now, before we get into this, let's be clear. Let's be sure we're clear on the enemy thing. Love your enemy. Well, there's some people that I don't like. That's not your enemy. That's not what he's talking about. The word enemy comes from a word group, which includes words like hostility, enmity, hatred. See, there are guys who just don't particularly like me. Then there are those guys that hide behind the telephone pole and if I walk by, they'll jump out and stab me in the back. 
It's the guy who jumps out and stabs me in the back. That's the guy we're talking about. How do I feel about him? In other words, this is pushed to the furthest extent. See, picture in your mind the guy who's the furthest, who is the worst, who is the, the knife in the hand, jump out behind the telephone pole, stab you in the back guy. Who's out to get you. Who hates your insides. Who is your... In- That's the guy we're talking about. <laughs> How am I supposed to feel about him? I'm supposed to love. Yes. I'm going to get to that. Hang on to that. Whew. That's a beautiful insight. Thank you. Thank you. But hang on to it. And if I don't, raise your hand again. Because <laughs> I may get carried away. <laughs> but that's a beautiful insight. Yeah, we're the, we're the, we're, because what you're dealing with here in the passage is the sovereignty of the nature of God. So I can't cause this. We're all agreed on that. You can't cause this in your life. I can't make myself love my enemy. I can't make myself a son. How is this going to happen in my life then? It's going to have to be caused. Now the most difficult thing in the world is for you and for me to imagine in our mind that I would just have love for the guy who wants to jump out behind the telephone pole and stab me in the back. I can't conceive that I would do that. That doesn't register. What registers? Defend! While he's waiting for me behind the telephone pole, I'm slipping around the back of the building coming up behind him. And I'm going to get him before he gets me. I can conceive that. Do unto others what, they, what you want them to do to you. No, do to, under, do to others before they do it to you. I got that. See, I can conceive that in my head. So, do you realize that if I can't conceive in my mind and my heart that I could possibly ever love my enemy, I cannot conceive in my mind and my heart that God could love his enemy. Which may be the reason you have a problem thinking God loves you. Because I can't be that way. How could he be that way? Because it doesn't make any sense. Do you see that? Here is the most beloved of God. Here's the special child of God. Here's the saint. Here's the individual who's given his whole life to God. Here's the individual who serves. Here's the individual who's intimate with God. Here's the individual that God just showers his love. He, God, I can see God loving him. Here's the enemy. Here's the overwhelming enemy. Here's the one who hates him. Here's the one who does everything against him. Here's the one who's in total rebellion. Here's the one who despises, cusses, damned. Here's... And God feels about both of them the same? Now, thank you for your question. Where you go with that is, don't think in terms of the devil. You mean God loves the devil? Don't think that. Why? 
because we're talking apples and oranges here, guys. The devil is not a human being. The devil is not made in the image of God. The devil is in an altogether different category. He's a created angel. And he is not made in the image of God. And he has no potential for being a child birthed by God. He has no possibility of that at all. Why? He's an angel. So don't, don't bring the devil into this. Don't, don't say, well, the devil is his enemy. Does God love, the, does God love his enemy, the devil? That, see, that's, that's a whole different category. It's a whole different. That's like saying, manly, do you love cockroaches? <laughs> Compared to loving your child. Come on. Those are two different categories. See, you can't, you can't. So the devil thing, push that out. We're not talking, he's an enemy, but he's not an enemy like you become an enemy. The humanity, the one who's made in his image, who has the potential of being a son. See, no, we're not dealing, we're, we're dealing with humanity and you and me, and we have the potential of being sons and being fathered and being birthed. See, that's a whole different so here's the saint who's, who's been birthed. Here's the non-Christian who's not been birthed, who's an enemy of God, who despises him. And do you realize that God feels about both of them the same? Why? Because it is his nature. You've got to understand this. It's because of his nature. It's because of the makeup of who he is. It's because of how he thinks inside. It's because of the chemicals. That's a bad word. The spiritual chemicals of his very being. It's, 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 the, way it's, it's, his, it's the way his brain operates. It's the way his heart is. He cannot. It's, it's, it's the nature of God. God has this nature. And it causes him to love both the same. To feel about. So don't come up and say, well, I'm not worthy. That's beside the point. Well, I, I've done too many bad things. That's beside the point. Why? Because God does not love you because of what you do. He loves you because of who he is. So you don't create this by your activity. This is created out of the very essence of his being. Now, if you got that, go with me another step. God is sovereign. What's that mean? That means he's transcended. Well, what's that mean? That means he's above everything. What's that mean? It means he has no need. He doesn't need a world. He doesn't need people to worship him. He is self-contained, independent. You could disappear and he wouldn't say, oh, man, I'm in trouble. No, he's not in trouble. See, the world could be blown to bits and God just keeps on trucking. Because he's sovereign. Transcended above. Doesn't need oxygen to breathe. Doesn't need a garden. Doesn't even some. Doesn't need somebody to pump his gas. Doesn't see God is God is above, transcended, sovereign, all powerful, almighty. He is ex in existence and a category all of his own. Sovereign. Think of sovereignty. That sovereignty has a heart. And this heart 
is the nature of God. And this heart nature of God is love. And it is literally infiltrated every fiber of his sovereignty. So you know what controls the sovereignty of God? Love. So God isn't sovereign at all. His nature, love is sovereign. Because <laughs> it controls him. And the reason he hasn't smashed you into a thousand pieces a dozen times is because he loves you and can't. Because this love of who he is is so powerful. It's infiltrated the very sovereignty of his being and brought his sovereignty under the control of his love. And every expression of his power and sovereignty is an expression of his nature, which is a nature of I love you and cannot help it. So God hungers. God's nature is a nature that hungers his appetite, his desire, his deep internal Want is for your best. Well, prove that. He makes his son rise on the evil and the good. I wouldn't do that. Can you imagine going into the farming community and there's a field that's, oh, he's not a Christian. Yeah, it's scorched. <laughs> he never gets rain. <laughs> oh, that guy's a Christian. Look at his corn. The sovereignty of God has spilled into the nature of his creating. The nature of his creation. The nature of God, which has literally permeated his sovereignty, has literally spilled into the natural, physical world. And everything he does in the physical world is an expression of this love that spilled into his sovereignty that this displayed in his creation. Do you know what this means? This means that the physical world nature of the physical world it's never 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 an expression except of the love of God which means ladies and gentlemen you can never say yeah I disobeyed God and he gave me cancer he lets it rain on the just and on the unjust. See, you can't say, I disobeyed God and he killed my kid. Why? God is not like that. His nature isn't that way. And his nature has infiltrated his sovereignty. And his sovereignty is spilled into all creation. And the creation never operates on the level of a mean, mad, punishing God. Right. Now, do people get cancer? Yes. Do children get killed? Yes. But it isn't because of the nature of God. And it's the old story, folks, where the preacher... 
was sitting in his study and the guy stomped into, stomped into the study and sat down before the preacher and looked him right in the eye and said, where was God when my child died? And the preacher said, the same place he was when his own kid died. Because this is an expression. So what is he saying? Love your enemy. I can't do that. Be a son of God. I can't do that. This has to be caused. How is this going to be caused? There is the cause is the sovereignty of the nature of God. For at the core of God's being is the love of who he is. The love that makes up who he is. It's the fiber. He is incapable of anything but love. And this passionate loving God had literally that nature has infiltrated his sovereignty which is literally spilled into and the proof of it is it's spilled into all of nature and it reigns on the just and reigns on the unjust. And ladies and gentlemen, if that is true in the physical world, how much more do you think that is true in the spiritual world? That God is desperate to redeem. God is desperate to change. And we've wrapped all that up in the scriptures. The scriptures has wrapped all that up in a word called grace. Where the grace of God that God is not out to give you what you deserve. He's out to give you what you need. And what do you need? You need redemption. You need love. You need, he is embracing you. He is chasing you down. And the whole redemptive thing of God is he has a heart of overwhelming love. It's expressed itself in the natural world. It's expressing itself loudly in the physical, in in the spiritual world. For God so loved that he gave. So God's concern for you is not based upon you. Well, I don't have any talent. God doesn't love me as much as the talented guy. Oh, mercy. That is not... God can create... God can create... God has created stones that can praise him louder than you can. See, if he can turn stones into praise, come on. What could he do with you? So this is not about talent. This is not about ability. This is not about what you've done. This is not about what you haven't done. This is about who he is. He is a God whose sovereignty is literally infiltrated and controlled by his love. It expresses itself in the natural physical world. And it's giving it's loudly proclaimed in the spiritual redemptive world. So it just and the unjust is redeeming love. And I look at my life and I say, wow, I feel just, I feel chosen. I feel special. I could take you back to my childhood and the miracles that happened that just saved my life. Where God just, oh. As a teenager, I should have been dead 20 times. God just intervened. I've been called. I feel so 
But I know, ladies and gentlemen, he's done that for you. Well, I don't feel it. I can't help it. <laughs> He's done that for you. And the reality of the case is there a sovereign God who has literally been, his sovereignty has been infiltrated with, his, with the very essence of his love, his nature, and that's been expressed in a physical world and expressed in a redemptive world. And he wants to birth you and make you a son. That is the cause. Now, go the second step with me. The second step of that is condition number two. So there's the cause, the sovereignty of his nature. There's the condition, the significance of his ownership. Now look at the statement again, verse 45. For he makes his son... Isn't it interesting he put that in there? His son. Ownership. See, you can't say that because it's not yours. Why? You have no claim on it. See, God has a claim on the son. Why does he have a claim on the son? Because he's sovereign and he owns the thing. Well, why does he own the son? creation God created the son and he owns it through creation in his sovereignty so his sovereignty is all wrapped up in this ownership thing they're phenomenal so the son is obligated to express the nature of God why because God owns that thing and has created it out of his own being Just let that soak. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was. And the sun is owned by the creator. Do you realize there is a phenomenal parallel in the scriptures between the sun and the light and heat of the Son and the Father. It's as if, how do you explain this? It's as if that God, in the essence of who He is, gave expression of Himself in what He created. And in the creation of the Son, He gave expression of His own inward. So we say, God is light. First John, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That's his nature, I know. And it was given expression in the sun in which there is no darkness at all. And there's a parallel. In fact, if you go to the book of the Revelation, let me read this to you. He says, the city, talking about the heavenly city, the heaven to come. The city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God will illuminate it. The lamb is the light. See the parallel? 
So you got this parallel going on that God has created this phenomenal sun and it's spilled out of the nature of his own being, which is a nature of light. Now I know, you can go to the scientific aspect of this, Google it, and you can get all the details about why the sun shines consistently and why the heat and all the interaction and all the chemical makeup and all that's going on in the sun that makes it the way it is. You can Google all that, find out all of that. The sun, could I take you to the nature of God? And could I give you the chemical breakdown of the nature of God? What, what drives him? How it interacts? How it, that at the very core of the nature of God, there is this interaction of his very being at the core of his being. And it literally, what's true about the sun is true about his inner nature. And that as the sun can't help itself, but it has to shine. So the inner core of God has to love. He just cannot stop himself. He cannot act opposite of what he is. What would happen? Think about this. If God, who created the sun and made the sun after his own, what would happen if God would birth you? What would happen? If in your openness and in the embracing of your helplessness you would allow him to actually come and birth who he is in you. You would actually have an encounter with his person. And as he put into the sun the ingredients of his own brilliancy he would put into you his own DNA and would father you, birth you. And if the sun absolutely has to shine because it somehow is owned by him, you who now have been birthed, created, fathered, birthed in his, with his DNA and owned, woo! What on earth would you be like? You would have to, wouldn't you? You'd have to love, wouldn't you? You couldn't help yourself, could you? Listen to these words. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God. And you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Which are God's. You probably haven't heard it, but uh, I've told it here several times. I was, I was birthed, I was raised uh, with, on a story from childhood all the way up that my dad told us all the time. And it was the dad and the boy. Uh, and he was, uh, 
he wanted to make a sailboat. There was a big lake out their way, and he wanted to make a sailboat. And he tried several times and it didn't work out. Uh, so the dad helped him. And uh, he carved it, and it was about this size. It was, it was nice size, and he carved it, and they put the sails on it, and, it would, and he painted it, and it just, he spent months just making this sailboat. It was beautiful. And there came the day, of course, when he was going to launch it. And they went down to the lake, and uh, he, he launched his sailboat, had a string on it, and it launched it, and the wind picked up and, and caught the sails and took his sailboat out, and he'd reel it back in, and he'd take his sailboat out, and he spent hours. It was just the delight. He'd made this thing, and it just, wow, it just worked so well. It was just, it was just right. And one day when he was out with the sailboat, Wind was extra hard, and, and there was string broke. And his sailboat just went off. And they lost the thing. Oh, he was broken hearted. Absolutely broken hearted. And in his brokenness and sobbing, and his dad said, Well, we'll make another one. Yeah, but that one was special. Several months went by. Kid was walking by downtown, came by the pawn shop, saw his sailboat in the window. My sailboat in the window. He went in and said, that's my sailboat. Well, son, somebody brought it in and I paid money for that. Well, that's my sailboat. I made that thing. Son, uh, I paid money. You'll have to. And so there was a charge, a fee, whatever, $5 for the sailboat. Well, he didn't have $5. So the kid went back. He mowed yards. He carried out the trash. He did all this stuff. He saved every dime he could save. It took him about a month, but when he had accumulated the funds, he brought it into the pond shop and gave it to the owner. Got his sailboat. And he was carrying it in his arms. And as he walked out the door, he looked at his sailboat and said, You're mine twice I made you and I bought you <laughs> that's you man see I've taken my very nature it's gone into my sovereignty you are mine by the very act of my creation I have destined you and created you yeah you broke the string man off you went but whoa I bought you back. You are not your own. You've been bought with a great price. <coughs> Love your enemy. I can't do that. Be a son. I can't do that. If you're a son, you'll love your enemy. I can't be a son. I can't love my enemy. I can't, be, I can't do either one of those things. How's it going to happen in my life? He says, it's going to be caused. How's it going to be caused? The sovereignty of the nature of God is literally 
the love of the nature that's in the nature of God, the very core of his system, what makes him up has infiltrated his sovereignty. And that literally is spilled into the whole physical world expressed in the sun. In, in it, 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 the sun shines on the just and on the unjust and rains on the just and on the unjust because this is how God is. And this is what causes this love. So I'm going to have to become a son. I'm going to have to be birthed. He owns me. Yeah, but he's bought me. And there is the possibility that in my helplessness, everything that he is could literally come and literally be in me. And I could have an encounter with the sovereign person of God that would radically change who I am, how I think, how I feel. He wants to father you, birth you out of his own nature. So he not only creates you, he births you, owns you by redemption. What we're proposing to you, ladies and gentlemen, is not simply a reforming. What we're, it's not just a recovering. What we're proposing to you is not just get better. What we're proposing to you is not, well, turn over a new leaf. Well, get your act together. Well, shape up. What we're proposing to you is not slap your hand and do better. What we're proposing to you is not bite your lip and, 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 and conquer. What we're proposing to you is an openness and an embracing of helplessness that allows him to literally come within you and birth you already owns you but birth you until you are a son of the father who loves why can't help myself Jesus If we are faithless, you remain faithful. You cannot deny yourself. This is who you are. And if we want to have anything to do with you, this is the way we're going to have to be. But God, I can't produce that. I can set standards for my life. I can set things I'm going to do and not do. But I'm not going to feel the way you feel. I'm not going to be like you are. I'm not going to have the care that you have. I'm not, I'm not going to have your nature. I'm not, I, God, I'm not going to be a son. I want to be a son. You're going to have to birth me. In front of this crowd today, God, I give you the right in the name of Jesus to birth in me everything that's of you. I give you the right to take your surgical knife and cut out of my life anything that is not of you. Any attitude, any feeling. Anything that is opposed to your nature. And it's possible, God, that there are things in my life I'm not even aware of at this moment. 
And I know I can't cross a bridge until I get to it, but my intention is every time you bring anything up in my life that's opposed to your nature, it's yours. I give it to you. Eliminate it from my life. Give me your cravings. Give me your appetite. Give me your passion. Give me your desire. Give me what you want. I want to want what you, I want to want what you want. I want to be like you. I want, I want to be the visible image of the invisible God in my world. And that as Jesus walked our streets and people saw the Father, oh Jesus, could I walk the streets today and could they see you in me? Because you have birthed me. Heads are bowed. Our altar's open. There's no magic at the altar. It's not a ceremony. It's a posture. It's a positioning of your life. And maybe you can't kneel, but you could come and stand. But it's a positioning of your life. that says I want to be birthed I am helpless have you been struggling have you been desiring and yet does Christianity feel like it's beyond You've done good and you've done better than you have been, but still it's, you've worked hard and corrected some things, but oh, would you open yourself to being a son? Would you let him birth himself in you? Would you let him, hey, don't worry about the technicalities of it. He's got all that under control. As he put in the son, what it needed to do to be what it is, he will put himself in you to do and to be what you are to be. Will you let him birth you? Would you, would you surrender? Would you open? Would you, would you set everything else aside for the one idea? Just being his birthed father. Oh, how he loves you. He's not against you. He's for you. So we're just going to take some moments. Oh, I want to come. Jesus, infiltrate. Go to the depth. Birth yourself in me.